Uh, hello, everybody. Um, my name is Dan Primack, uh, editor of Fortune Magazine, uh, and with me here is Fred Wilson, um, who is obviously the, the most private person, so I, I don't really know what, what to talk to you about today, because you never kind of give your opinions on things. Uh, Fred, Fred, I want to start not with your bio, but something from your bio. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but I, I want to ask you a couple kind of venture capital sort of questions, and, and then we can expand. You, unlike a lot of VCs today, have basically almost always been a VC most of your professional career. But, but more specifically, you mentioned to somebody once that when you were applying to business school, the essay you wrote was saying, I want to be a venture capitalist. I'm curious for you, is that still a viable career path for a 24, 25-year-old? I'm intentionally going to go to business school, get out, get into venture capital, or do you now really have to work at a startup or found a company? I think you can do it, and I don't even think you need to go to business school to do it. I think if you really feel like this is what you want to do with your life, um, you can you can start making investments either um, you know for another venture firm or I mean there's there's even programs like uh, Josh Koppelman's firm first round has something called the dorm room fund and there's college students who literally have some money from first round and they run around and make investments and if somebody in that group demonstrated an unbelievable feel for it then um, you know they could do a whole career I mean Jim Cramer from the street.com uh, was discovered as a stock picker uh, at, when he was at Harvard. He would he had a voicemail system that you would you'd call to leave a message, and Jim would be my my tip of the day is X Y Z, and and so, you know, some Harvard professors found out about it and started giving him money to invest for them. So if you're really talented, you could do it at 20. Can you do it without having a good technical background? You obviously you have a, had technical background from your undergrad days. Can can you become a successful tech venture capitalist without knowing all that much? about actual tech, can you do it without knowing how to be an engineer, essentially? I think today. you can, I think it's harder, right? So the, the, most of the people I know who are really young in the business and are good at it have a technical background, but there are people, my partner Brad, uh, who's not young, he's a few years older than I am, uh, is not a technologist uh, in, in, in terms of like his background, but he's sort of a, studies markets and, and thinks about things from a very sort of big picture perspective, and he's very, very good at what he does. So I don't think you need to have a technology background, but it, it certainly helps. Well, USV, you guys talk a lot about thesis, and I think a lot of firms do, but you talk about it a little bit more publicly. So I'm going to try to summarize really quick kind of the, the evolution of your thesis, and if you think I've gotten this wrong, correct me. Okay. The, the, the original plan was focus on large networks, so the possibility of large networks. You moved to enabling technologies for those networks. You then moved to kind of market-specific networks or kind of vertical networks. And now you're at least talking, even though you're still doing those sorts of deals, about things that blow up networks completely and how, how you take advantage of that disruption. So I'm curious, is that... That was, that was really good. Was that good? That was really okay, good. That, that's fantastic. <laughs> then I guess that last part, can you talk to me a bit about what that means you're focusing on? Obviously, blockchain comes up. What, how do you focus on destroying, essentially, the things you've built for the last 10 years? Well, if you look at the history of tech going back you know, 30 or 40 years, you have these waves, and, and during those waves, there's sort of a dominant kind of business model or a dominant kind of technology model, and then eventually something comes around and, and undercuts that wave and creates a new wave. And for the last 15 years, it's been these networks um, that have been built on top of the internet and the mobile internet. And so we're looking for what's the thing that undercuts that in the way that the internet, the open internet, undercut Microsoft's uh, dominance in PC and client-server software. Um, 
you know, what would be that thing that would, would do that to the Googles and Facebooks and, and Amazons of the world? Um, and if we can find it, I think it's going to be a very uh, good thing to invest in. You know, we're still looking for it. I, I, I have some theories about what it might be, but uh, no, 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 uh, nothing definitive. I'm curious, can you talk about any of those theories? I mean, is blockchain, the, blockchain jumps out as the obvious one. Are there other things beyond that? Yeah, there are, there are other things beyond that. Um, that's the one that, that we um, are the most um, enthusiastic about because uh, it creates an open data platform. And if you really think about the uh, dominance that these, these big networks have, it's really that they have these huge uh, scale uh, data advantages. But there, there are a number of other things that are coming along. I think just the... the, the um, uh, all the Internet of Things stuff and, and all the sensors. I mean, a, a lot of the a lot of the things that were mentioned, uh, by the way, in that video that they played right before us, uh, have the potential to be um, disruptive. Actually, let me ask about the video. The, the thing you bring up, if I'm right, and we couldn't quite see it from backstage, but it was artificial intelligence or right. AI. That that was the thing you said was kind of the the big big thing coming for the next. Because well, I, I think that's real already, right? Like some of the stuff that we're talking about, like blockchain and other things. I think are uh, virtual reality, they're, they're coming, and I think a lot of people uh, think that they have great promise, but I think AI is actually demonstrably here today, um, and people are building interesting products and businesses using that technology. So I think that's, you say, what's, for the next five years, I think you gotta pick something that's actually happening now, because I mean, if you, if you, if you pick social media in 2007, that would, even though <coughs> social media had really been around for five or six years by then, 2007 to 2012 was a great time to do social media. So you have to, like, to say what's going to happen in the next five years, you've got to pick something that's actually already real. Let me ask you the, the obvious AI question, kind of the cliched one, which is the singularity question. To you, opportunity, total fear, or total bullshit? Uh, I think it's fear, because it's kind of the fear of the unknown. Uh, I don't know if it's legitimate fear or total bullshit. I have this very optimistic view of the world, and so I, I, don't, I don't share those fears, um, but I understand why people have them. So you don't think your kids are going to live in a Terminator future in 30, 40 years? That, I, that's not a worry of yours? I do not, although I do think that they may live for a long, long time, but that's a different thing. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, you know, Fred, a lot of your biggest deals, and, and I don't just mean at Union Square, I mean going back to, to GeoCities. One right. thing, so I, I think GeoCities, I think Twitter, I think Zynga, I, I think Etsy, do you know thing, what GeoCities was called before it was GeoCities? I do not. I think it was called Hollywood Internet. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Which, and was, you guys put like 20 million bucks in and it was a three and a half billion dollar company yeah. exit. One thing though they all had in common was you as a venture capitalist took money off the table before the exit. You obviously made money off of the exits, right. but you, made, you took money off the table and all those. It's not something we see a lot of VCs do. It happens every now and then on certain deals. Right. Is, is that, is, do you feel that's part of your strategy, that when you've got something that clearly now has a much higher value than where you originally invested, and you think there will be an exit, get our, at least get our principal and a little bit back now? Is, is that kind of part of your philosophy, or was it just opportunistic in all those cases? It's definitely part of our philosophy. The, the thing about exiting companies in the venture business is you're not really in control of the timing of those exits for a whole host of reasons. Uh, and so my view is anybody, any, anytime somebody's offering me a return, a realized return, um, at an attractive price, uh, we should take advantage of that because you don't know when the next one's going to come. 
Do you, I, I wonder, when you look at a company like Zynga, which you guys made a lot of money, so for USV, that, it's a huge success. For your investors, it's a huge mm -hmm. success. As a company, it is currently a, a really, really troubled company, trading at like two bucks a share. Do you view it as, how do you view that now from a success standpoint? Do you look at Zynga and say, that's successful, I was a part of building something successful, or do you, how do you view that now? Well, if you go to, first of all, Zynga makes money, uh, and it is, um, uh, it's a big company. I mean, if you go to Zynga's offices in San Francisco, they have this freaking huge building, you know, and you go in there That's and not always a good thing to have no, a No, 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 but, I'm, but what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is like, there's, might have had there's like eight different stuff. studios, uh, you know, there's the Bill Studio where they make their Farmville stuff, there's their Slots Studio, there's their Words with Friends Studio. They have a bunch of franchises. You know, a lot of it is the context, right? You know, if you... If you had said to me in 2007, when we put our money into Zynga, that in 2016, Zynga would be a company that was worth a billion dollars of market cap and um, you know, had six uh, studios making franchise games and XYZ, I'd be like, yes. If I had told you that in 2011 or 12, you would have been very disappointed, though. Correct, no? correct. So it's just a question of what your context is. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> You've talked, there's been this kind of push-pull in the VC market, particularly for the last couple of years, of kind of the Andreessen versus Gurley thing. The, mm -hmm. Should you push companies out public if, when, when you can, once they've got their governance in place, but get them out compared to the stay private as long as you want to stay private. You've gone more and you try to push the company, not push, but encourage companies to go public earlier. When you look, though, at some of the ones that you have, that Twitter, Zynga, I, I know you can't talk Etsy because you're still on the board, but, mm -hmm. but obviously it's not a secret that they've Lady struggled Club, a bit. I mean, look, Lady literally Club, the entire... X USV public portfolio is in the shit right now. Every single one of them. So is it? So was it? So was that philosophy? Is that a mistake then? Should companies stay private longer? No, I don't think so because all of those companies have things that the private companies don't have. They have a public float. You can buy and sell their stock. If you're an employee in those companies, you can get liquid on your investment. They've got balance sheets that are the envy of every private company, and they, for the most part, have good profitable businesses. They're just not in favor right now in Wall Street. But you know. I think it'll turn around for the majority of them, maybe all of them. And you know, I, 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 I wrote a blog post about this. I really believe in these companies. I believe in the management teams. And, I, and Joanne and I own stock in every single one of them. I, I wonder, you know, given what, what you've seen in the public markets, do you right now think, is this a good, I guess I should rephrase, is this right now a good time to make venture investments? I, I ask it just from the cyclical standpoint of typically when the public markets struggle and have, struggled and have had a correction, Historically, you look, and those become some of the best venture investments, the A rounds from then. I, I know VCs always hate to say, time, quote, time the market, but is this a good time well, to be I, in the I market? Think, I think if you look at the history of venture capital, um, going back to the 70s, every year there are roughly 20 or 30 investments that if you made, you made a fortune on. Every year. There's never a year when that's not true. And there's also never a year when that number is 200. Right? It's about 20 to 30, maybe 50 companies a year. You got to get one of them. That's, that's our job. Get one of those every year, and you're going to be the top performing venture capital of all time. And nobody gets one every year. If you get one every two or three years, you're good. Do you, do you, where do you, I guess, I, I, I guess I'll ask this question this way. I've asked this to a couple people before. If you could take all, not just yours, but all the so-called unicorn companies, these, these billion-dollar private valuation companies, mm -hmm. and put them in a bucket, if you could in, buy them in, in, as an index at their most recent how many price. Are the, how many of them are there? Oh, like there's like 120 or something like that. What? But if, if you could buy that as a bucket, just as an individual investor, would you buy that bucket? 
Well, you know, Ron Conway famously, uh, and I don't know if this is exactly true, it's, 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 this may be a myth, but, but what I've heard is that Ron Conway had a seed fund in the late 90s, and he invested in hundreds of companies, and he lost money on every single one of them but one. You right. know what that one company was that he didn't lose money on? The late 90s, gonna be Google. Google. Google, yeah. And, and, and I think his fund did like 20x or 30x. Lost money on every single right, one but, of course, but one. Of course, he wasn't paying massive price. He, he didn't have an $80 billion company that was No, look, my point is that you give me that, you give me that uh, bucket of companies, and I'm sure that in that bucket of companies is one company that will pay for all of the losses that you're going to take on the rest. Do you think in there there's going to be a company could to do that then? You're talking about there's got to be a two, three hundred billion dollar company sitting there. You're, you think that exists? I would think so. If you're going to be 120 companies that are worth over a billion dollars that have been founded over the last five or seven or ten years, yeah, I think there's one in there. Okay. Fair. But I don't know which one it is. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Fred, I wonder, how do you view your current investment pace? Because it seems, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, so I'm doing this based on your website and I know there's things you guys don't announce. It seems like you personally that your investment pace has slowed a little bit over the last couple of years. Is that a fair understanding? It slowed in 2012, 13, uh, picked up again in 14 and it's accelerating. So I did two investments in 14, three investments in 15. Um, you know, our pace generally is two per partner per year. Sometimes a partner will do, I, there was one year where I did five or six, uh, which is, I don't think, a good idea in hindsight, which is why I had to slow my investment pace then uh, in a few years after that. Uh, it's just a limit to how many companies you can actually help at one time. Can you give me the, uh, the Foursquare bull case? Because I, I have to tell you, from the outside looking in, it, it seems like you're burning, like throwing money on a bonfire. So, so, uh, so Foursquare has become a data company. Uh, they have two very popular, most people don't realize how popular they are, mobile apps, Swarm and Foursquare, that are used by over 10 million people a month around the world. Um, but really what their business is, is taking all the data that comes from uh, the technology platform they've built, the user data that they have, and all of the venue data that is in their system and also created and, and edited and, and and, and additional metadata applied to every day by their user base, providing that as a premium API to developers. Um, it's the most popular location API in the world. Uh, I think there's something like 100,000 developers who have built something on top of the Foursquare API. And at the top end of that business, there's you know, a lot of big companies that pay a lot of money for that API. They also have a bunch of other data products that they sell. And it's a data company powered by two really, really popular mobile apps. But they're not, you know, Instagram popular. They're not Snapchat popular, but they're really popular. You know, they're, they're one of the top, both of them are top 500 apps. Uh, and, you know, you don't need 500 million people uh, giving you data to, to get a representative data sample. So it's a data company. Think of it more like Comscore than Did you have um, to struggle Instagram. to do the new, I mean, mentally struggle to do the new round, given that it was Did we? Were, yeah, because you were cramming no, no, down, we, not we, only cramming we, down yourself. We, we led that round. Right, I know that. That's we, why I'm you asking. Know, no, we didn't struggle to do it. I mean, we, we wanted to do it, you know, and, and, um, and, and we helped the company catalyze an investor group uh, behind our lead. Uh, and, you know, we've been telling the company for years that the reason that they were having trouble raising money is that they weren't valuing themselves properly. And finally, we convinced them to value themselves properly and promptly raised $50 million. Do you, retrospectively, a couple of years ago, they raised debt, and, and you actually wrote about this. It was a convertible note, and part of it, the idea was somebody else would then come in and price, which ultimately was you. Right. 
in retrospect, was that debt deal the, uh, uh, a good way to raise then? It seemed to make sense to you at the time. In retrospect, did it make sense, or should you have tried to get the deal you just did or something like that done a couple of years ago? I don't think we could have done the deal that we did a couple of years ago. I don't think that, um, I don't think that, you know, everybody were, were, was aligned the way they are now. Fair enough, fair enough. You, you've said that, and tell me if there's a different one, you've said that the deal you regret the most passing on, an early stage deal with Airbnb, is that? Yeah, I, because Airbnb really is a USB style company. I mean, you know, that's, it's the kind of company we like. Um, and uh, we like the founders, and we like the business, and we just chickened out and didn't do it, and we should have. Is there anything from that experience that, that you take with you after it that, that has in any way changed or, or impacted the way you invest now? Or look at companies now? Or is it simply like, we should have done it, we missed it, and still have it? It's a little bit of the occupational hazard of the venture business. You talk to anybody who's been a venture capitalist for as long as I have, and there's going to be regrets like that. It's, it, it, I, and you just can't you just can't pull the trigger on every good investment that comes your way and you and you and you make those mistakes and those are the more painful mistakes right you don't want to lose one times your money so you, you back an entrepreneur that doesn't work out you lose a couple million bucks that's painful but it's not anywhere nearly as painful as as the opportunity cost to have possibly been able to invest in airbnb and passed on that yeah i want to go back the, the, you mentioned that, that the usb public portfolio is currently in the shitter i, I wonder does that do you think that has an impact on other current kind of either later stage, growth stage entrepreneurs, and, and I don't mean yours in particular, but, but they, they, look at they look particularly at some of the high profile ones, right. companies like Twitter, and say, all the fears I have about going public are manifested in what's happening at Twitter, or pick another company, there's, there's plenty of them. Is, does that have a, a consequential effect? Does that have a trickle down effect, do you think, on current entrepreneurs? It does, it does. And that's why it takes a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of uh, urging from your board and your investors to get entrepreneurs to do it. I do think it's ultimately a good thing. It's like taking medicine; it doesn't taste good, and you know, but it does make you better. Do uh, you know a lot? Of and, and these companies, it does make you better. It really makes you better. And I agree better with at Bill, what? It makes you better at running a business. I agree with Bill Gurley on this. I really agree with him. You know, does man, it make you better? Or does it just show whether you know how to do it or not? No, man up, woman up. Fucking do it, you know? Don't be chicken. Like, if you want to be, if you want to be a great company, you got to do what Google did and what Apple did and what Amazon did. You go public, become a public company, and live with it. Of course, if you, okay, that, that's fair. I wonder, does that mean if, what then do you, how do you view those who have, how do you view, for example, Travis or Uber? You look at that. He's, he's, he's wimping out. That should be a public company. That, that should a, be a public company. Is, losing a billion is, dollars, that should be a public company. That's even, more so, even more so, if you're going to lose a billion dollars, where are you going to get a billion dollars? Get well, it from the public so you're gonna markets. Call, well, but you are, aren't they? Aren't they getting it from Fidelity and from Southwell? Yes, they're getting absolutely. It from the so market. do it. Do it. Absolutely no, but that's do it. They're getting it from the public markets without having to have the public market requirements. It will ultimately force them to go public. You can't play that game forever. They should just do it. Fair I mean, enough. It is, it, is one of, it, is, it is the best company to come out of the venture capital sector in the past five years. It should be a public company. Do you, I, I wonder, how much, uh, and Uber's not a good example of this because it's not the case. And by the way, all these investors want him to do it too. They're desperate to get liquidity. Of course they are, and, and, those, and their investors are desperate for it too, but they have absolutely, Look, but, when you but take no one money, wants to piss take, off their entrepreneur. When you take money from me, okay? Am I getting money from you? No, no, when you That's take fantastic. money from me, you have a responsibility to get me my money back at some point. You can't just say, fuck you. But, to the, but the VCs, but the VCs. <laughs> 
By the way, Fred, when you give me the money, I won't tell you to fuck <laughs> off. I'll, I'll take it and I'll give it back when that's, I'm not, that's I'm, mad at, I'm not mad at Travis. I'm not even invested in his company. I'm just saying, take the goddamn company public. You, I wonder, though, you know, these, do you think that, it's great to say, but do you think the VCs, and I don't mean on Uber's board per se, is it also the VCs chickening out because you don't, and maybe I'm not in no, the board. No, no, they want him to go public. They want him to go public, but it's different to want him to go public and demand him to go public. I mean, the, the example I go back and I think about, and I mentioned this in the LP panel yesterday, was Zappos and Tony Shea, and, and with Sequoia basically saying, you know, you sell to Amazon or we find a new CEO. I don't think anyone's saying that at Uber. Well, they don't need a new CEO. He's doing a great no, job. No, they want to go public. It would be go public and stay CEO and, you know. Do you and your wife ever have any disagreements? It has happened. <laughs> How do you happen. resolve them? We usually, well, she wins. I mean, that, that's how we resolve them. Well, I think sometimes Joanne and I meet in the middle, where we find things that, you know, we find places to give each other what we want, right? And I think that's the relationship that entrepreneurs and VCs need to have. And it's not just VCs. It's, it's not just VCs. He's raised money from everybody and their mother. Everybody's an investor in Uber besides you and me. Is there, and, and if you've got any mutual funds, you're probably an investor in Uber. Do you, I, I wonder, is that, is the, do you feel that the, the Fidelis, the Wellingtons, et cetera, of the world, who have come into that later stage market so hard, do you think they're going to, if the public markets continue to, to struggle a bit, do you think they're going to stick around as those, not stick around, they'll obviously keep their shares, but are they going to continue bringing on new portfolio companies, private ones? I think they need to, because I think as, as, as these companies stay private for longer, these are the companies they used to buy in the IPO market, right? right. And they got to buy them now in the private market. If they want to get in, if you want to get into Uber at a 10 or 15 or $20 billion valuation, instead of waiting into the $100 billion valuation where they're looks like going to go public at some point, um, you got, that, that's 10x. You've got you yep. to make that 10x. So they got to go into the private market and do are, it. Are, from your perspective, are they, is there outside of the cash, do they, you, know, you hear VCs, the, the quote-unquote value add, outside of the cash, do they add anything, do you think, to the company from an operational standpoint, from an advice standpoint? Or are they truly just money? No, I think, I, I think that, that, that seed investors, Series A investors, maybe Series B investors add value in, in companies. And once you get beyond that, it's just money. Uh, I'm curious. I want to know about your future. Um, the, you, know, you mentioned that Brad was two years older than you, your co-founder at Union mm -hmm. Square. There have been rumors that if not this fund, the next fund could be Brad's last Union Square fund. There have been additional rumors that the one after that could be your last Union Square fund. I think Brad is likely to uh, continue to be a VC for longer than I, than I would be, just because he's really, really passionate about uh, markets and technology and, and things like that. And I just don't see him, you know, finding other things to do. Uh, so I, 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 don't, I don't anticipate him uh, uh, stopping anytime soon. And, you know, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon either. There's a difference, though, between um, what the thing you have to be really careful in the venture business is if the managing partners, the founding partners or the managing partners stick around too long in the control position, then what that happens is the younger talent ends up leaving and starting their own firms. So the best firms do is, the, is that the, the, the manager, and Benchmark has done an incredible job with this. Yeah. Sequoia has done an incredible job with this. Kleiner less so, unfortunately. Um, and they got to back away. They got to say, it's not my firm anymore. And they got to let the younger people come up and, and they got to, and it doesn't mean that you necessarily leave the firm. But it means that you got to let somebody else become the managing partner, or you got to let somebody else become the face of the firm. Um, and, and then, and I really think the benchmark partners did a great job with this, and I think the Sequoia partners did a great job with this. That's what we're going to have to figure out how to do.
Is it something you're, you're actively thinking about? And I guess I ask in the context, unlike some other firms. Well, let me ask you a question. Well, they have let me ask you a question. Rosters. You don't have a huge roster of, you know, 28-year-olds right. sitting there. Do you think I'm actively thinking about it based on what I just said? Yeah, I yes, do. Yes, I am actively thinking about it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. Well, I, so let me ask the second part. You, you, buy, you, have a, you do have, from an economic standpoint, correct me if I'm wrong, a flat partnership with, with five partners. Our model right? is that when you join us for the first fund, you're 50% of what everybody else is, and then if you make it to the second fund, you're equal. Okay. A little bit different than the benchmark model. Their model is your equal day one, which is a great model, too. I, I happen to like our model a little better, but... Either one, I think, works pretty well. Does it mean, though, given that you said you're thinking about it, and you do have, obviously, not, not you and Brevet, obviously, Andy and Albert, right. are you actively looking to bring other people on currently, in, and I don't, either on a junior level or even on a senior level? No. Not looking to currently. Um, Fred, we got 45 seconds, so, so I want to ask one final, final question to you, um, which is, and maybe the, the disrupting networks is the answer to that, what is the one sort of thing you're looking for, type of company you're looking for that hasn't crossed your desk yet? If, what, if that makes sense. What's the one thing that if it crossed your desk, you'd say, oh, finally, someone's doing this? Teleportation. Fair enough. And that, that's big. Look, I mean, that's the way to beat Uber, right? Uber's not a public company if you can teleport. Bra Brad, Brad Feld, who I think might be in the audience, as I saw him check in on Swarm, um, uh, said to me that he would do teleportation as long as you could promise that he wouldn't lose anything more than a finger. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm not sure I want to lose a finger. No, so if you just lose a finger, you want to, yeah, fine then. Fred, I appreciate it, thanks man.